Yes, hello folks, welcome to Beyond the Pitch, special episode here. I'm your host Phil Brown as always, and I mean this sincerely, I often say this in my intros, but I really genuinely mean it this time. I am ecstatic to be joined here with Jamie Moore. Jamie, of course, fantastic boxer, fantastic trainer, uh, also a big Manchester United fan, and uh, someone who I got the pleasure of meeting for the first time last year when he was in Vegas for Carl Frampton's fight, and hopefully that's the last time. <laughs> Jamie, how you doing, mate? How are you, Phil? You okay, mate? Yes, mate, all good. How you doing over there? Yeah, doing all right, mate, to be honest. It's uh, obviously not an ideal situation, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, cracking on with it as best I can, really. Family, family are all well and healthy, so that's the main thing, mate. Yes, man. You know, it's funny you say that, though. You talk about uh, not the best of two reasons. And obviously, what this time has done for a lot of us is it's given us time to almost look internally because now you've got the time to sit at home. You can evaluate. Certainly, I've looked at things in my life where, for the first yeah. time, I'm like, what am I doing this for? Why am I buying this? Why am I subscribing to this? Why? And, I, and I've been able to clean house on a lot of things and develop some healthy yeah. new habits. Have you, have you, you noticed like what your new normal could be with new habits? Of course. Yeah, I think, you know, not just physically, but, but mentally and emotionally, you're t- talking about having a clear out. You know, when, when everyone sort of does a, a spring clean or a January clean in the house if they can and clears a lot of stuff out. Yeah. And, um, and I think metaphorically, a lot of people have been doing that, but physically and, and mentally, you know, yes. the, 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 uh, we've been that busy, or I've p- personally been that busy over the last two or three years. Um, the amount of stuff yeah. that you intend to get round to and it stacks up and it just gathers dust and it keeps building and building, you never get really around to doing it. Um, and you know, e- even stuff as, as little as making a phone call to someone who, yep. who has been on your mind and you might, you know, do, the, the thought might pop in your head that you give them a call and you go, you know what, as soon as I stop driving now, I'm going to give them a ring. And you never get down to doing it. And I've been intentionally sort of scooting through my messages and, uh, or, you know, going through, I see someone's name pop up on social media and I give them a phone call and just catch them up with them and see how, see how they are because, you know, it, it takes five minutes out of your day, but, a phone call to someone who maybe you think might be on their own or don't see that many people. God, it means the world to them. You know what I mean? You can see, you can sense it in their voice as well. So I've quite enjoyed. Um, it's been good for me because I've enjoyed catching up with them. But yes. you can tell it's doing a good deed as well for them. Mate, uh, I can't tell you how powerful it is. I suppose. Uh, for people like myself, you're a consummate gentleman, you're a magnificent professional, and when I had the pleasure of meeting you, you had time for everybody. Uh, And the point I want to make here is the impact that has on ordinary people lasts forever. You may forget about it in a minute or two just simply because you have so many people to meet, but the individual you just met will remember that moment for the rest of their life and how you impacted them. And I can just tell you... There's a few disciplines. Just, just, yeah. and, 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 and that's the, my, my big point is, uh, or, the, or my mindset is, you said that, how what that means to ordinary people, mm-hmm. but the, the fact of the matter is, we are all just ordinary sure. people. And just because I did all okay as a boxer and I'm doing okay as a boxing trainer, is bears absolutely mm-hmm. no relevance to the way you should speak to or interact to people. It, it, it's common courtesy and manners. And if someone comes up to you and speaks to you or asks you a question, it's it's just courteous to, to answer them in a normal, civil way. So I, I don't buy into that yeah. like, I'm any different than you or whatever. And that's what annoys me about a lot of people who do well for themselves. And that's what... People get 
hung up on the fact that yes. they want to be famous. So you look at all these YouTubers and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Fame is just a word. And and if you replaced fame with did well for yourself, you know, so instead of saying such a body's famous, such a body's done well for itself, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be as powerful to them. Mm. It means absolutely nothing to me. And uh, and you know, I, so if if just by me having a conversation can make an, yeah. an impact on someone's life, freaking hell, I'm going to do that every single day of the week and twice on a Sunday because. I, what I'll tell you a little story here. What happened to me when I was 14 years old, I met Nigel Ben. Mm-hmm. And I obviously idolised Nigel Ben. He, you know, he's a big hero of mine. I looked up to him. And just the little conversations he had with me, and it wasn't long. There was just a couple of words what he'd said. Oh, you're only 14. Yeah. You're quite a big lad. You know, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. I sat on every word he uh-huh. said. Yep. So, so I understood... And I understand now the impact that yeah. little words or conversations can have, and it stuck with me for the rest of my life. And I always used to think to myself when I was coming through as an amateur and stuff, if I ever make it as um, as a boxer or I do something with my life, I'm going to be Nigel Ben. I'm going to be that That's man who me. speaks to the four-year-old kid and, and makes someone's day. Do you know what I mean? Jimmy, I, I'm living, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a living witness that you actually do that and practice in your life. There's an old quote from Maya Angelou, and I, I honestly, it, it, it couldn't, it couldn't be more accurate. People will forget how you treat, how they treated you, people, but they'll never forget how you make, how, how they made you feel. You will never yeah, forget yeah. how a human being makes you feel. That's the experience. That's how we learn. That's we, you know, there's analytical learning, yeah. and then there's experiential learning. For example, I tell you not to drink and drive. Most people know they shouldn't do it, but go out and do it anyway and tell yeah. the brother consequences, and then that's experiential learning. So whenever yeah. um, <clears throat> you, you you never forget how something makes you feel, um, yeah. and and. Obviously, our connection is through Carl. Uh, Carl is a very, very close friend of mine, uh, someone I absolutely idolize. But what's really interesting, and I've talked to Carl about this personally, and when he was going through the process of selecting his team after you know he left Barry, it was important that his team personified the values that he himself personifies, that there's consistency, that you all... Are, do, are very similar in terms of their values and humility because you talk about humility Carl is obviously very humble and yeah. a, 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 fa- a happy fader is a, is a very dangerous fader you and your team Nigel the rest of the lads personify everything that a human being could want in a team because you are humble and you're not the type of person to sit around a fader and fill their head full of shit and say you're brilliant. Yeah. You're not on a sled. You're 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 magnificent. I mean, you had t- difficult decisions with Tommy Coyle. It's very yeah. it's very hard to be honest with people you love when that truth can sometimes offend you and the pers- yeah. the way you carry yourself, the dignity and recognizing how powerful your words are. I mean, I'll talk about this at some point. But Carl Frampton reached out to me at a very very important time. He dropped me a WhatsApp message when I was seriously contemplating, seriously contemplating suicide. And just yeah. a couple of simple words lifted me right out of that mid. So I'm glad you yeah. recognise how important it is whether yeah. you want that responsibility or not. It comes, mate. <clears throat> no, it will. And so I think the problem with a lot of people, not in boxing, just gen, you know, not just in boxing, but in every walk of life, is everything revolves around money yeah. and mm-hmm. how much money you're going to earn. And there's no there's no morals or value around it. Right. And my, I've always been taught from a young age: if you do, if you do the right thing, be a good person, and do your job well, 
you'll get paid. Yeah. In the end, you know, regard, regardless, if you chase the money, then you're not doing it for the right reason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those those things have stuck with me all my life. And when Carl rang me, I don't forget, I was only training Tommy Coyle as a mm-hmm. favour. Uh, I trained a couple of fighters on and off. I trained Matt Macklin for a short period of time. Um, and yeah. I, d- I wasn't really sure whether I wanted to be a coach. Um I, wasn't, I wouldn't say I massively enjoyed it. It was just I enjoyed training Tommy because yeah. I liked Tommy Lovely and good friends. Yeah, so um, so when Kat, what had happened was I, I'd, I'd started to train Martin Murray and Rocky Field in, yeah. um, when when Oliver got poorer. So nobody knew that Oliver was poorly and mm-hmm. I was just doing it as, as a favour to Oliver as well. Mm-hmm. And then Carl just ran me out of the blue, um, came over, did a couple of days um, as, as a bit of a trial. And then one of the first things he said to me then was, um, listen, you know, about what, what we're going to do about money and stuff like that. So I said, listen, don't speak to me about money. Mm-hmm. You know, and he said, what, well, you know, we need to have a conversation. Really. I said, listen, Carl, the last thing you want to do is have a conversation about money with the situation mm-hmm. as it is at home. I said, just come over there. Yeah. Let's get you ready for this fight. And then after the fight, if you feel like we've done a good job and stuff like that, then you just pay us whatever you think. And it, it's worked so much mm-hmm. better because there's no aspect right. or pressure about money. I'd, ra- I'd I'd much rather do it for the love of the sport. Uh, so so my emphasis wasn't on training Carl to earn money. It was always on can we get him the best out of Carl Thompson? Can we get him back to to his best? And then and that so going back to what I was saying to you about how I've been brought up. Obviously, then. If, if I'm doing the job what I feel like I can do and I'm doing it right, then I'm going to get paid anyway. Absolutely so what's, what's, the, what's the problem in focusing on money? Look, I get asked this a lot as well about people that get into podcasting and all, and I tell them, if you're going to do this for money, right, don't waste your time. Because first of all, it's going to change your relationship with the sport where you have a monetary expectation and you become yeah. better when you don't get paid what you think you're worth. All right? yeah. And yeah. when you're doing something for the money... It also shows in the output of your work because it's forced, and you need to be happy to be creative, right? To be for it to yeah. flow properly. If you're unhappy, you're depressed, or you're not engaged in what you're doing, uh, then it shows. And lastly, Jimmy, in my opinion, I don't care how much money you get paid; you will never be able to buy enough shit outside of your job yeah. to make up for the happiness, the the lack of yeah. happiness doing your job. There's there's just you spend so much of your life. Impossible. Yes, you, you can't. And it's just a constant empty hole. And I've, I've been there in my life where I've made a lot of money doing jobs that I absolutely despised. And yeah. I was never able to buy anything that could compensate how I felt with no. having that lack of purpose in life. Do you and, know what I mean? And, and you know, do you know, Phil, the, the, the problem with that situation is, and you've, you're exactly right, I, I've been there myself. I earned mm-hmm. not bad money when I was a fighter, but yep. it wasn't by any stretch of the imagination life-changing. Mm-hmm. But at the time, when you've got the money in your pocket, yeah. you feel like you're a millionaire. Yeah. Um, so I've had, I've had money as a young man and blew it, yep. spent it all. Mm-hmm. I've been absolutely on my ass skin one, yep. once I retired from boxing and had nothing. Yep. And then I've done okay for myself again. And what, what you come to realise, and, and this the point I'm trying to make is, you can't possibly come to the conclusion that money doesn't make you happy until yeah. you've actually had it. Right. And, exactly. And then you realise you don't feel any different. So I understand when people say, yeah, yeah but you've got money, so it's easy saying that. And, uh, yeah, and, and they're right to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And money can make you take you off to places what can 
momentarily make you happy, you know, make, take you on holidays and stuff sure. like that, maybe change the scenery. But the fact of the matter is, I was no happier in terms of my everyday life with my family, my wife and my kids when I had not a pot to piss in and just paying the bills every week than I have now. So, so you know, it, it's true that it's, it's a difficult thing to grasp when you're working week by week and you think, if I had money, then I'd go and do this and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But, but in terms of being happy, it's a mindset. You've got to make sure, you've got to be happy from an internal thing. Oh, and then it transfers into the external. Attitude, uh, gratitude, that is everything. Look, mate, I, I've yeah. come to a conclusion, like yourself, I've lived the vast majority of my life scant. Right? Uh, we grew up in a working class home in Belfast. Uh, it certainly wasn't opulence by any means. And when I was living there, I used to be envious of people that lived in big houses, that always had the new trainers on and always had the, the, the designer gear and all that there. And I'm getting hand me down with brush. And I used to think, God, if only, if only I could make this much money, I'd need be happy. And then when I did yeah. make that much money, I, I, then I had another expectation. Well, I need a wee bit extra, just, just a bit extra. And then I realised yeah. at some yeah. point... Money brings comfort, it doesn't bring happiness. And those are two very, no. very different things, right? And comfort yeah. is not always a good place for a human being to be. Because you no. see people comfortable in professions that stop performing. Because they're comfortable yeah. where they're at in life. They've, no, they've nothing pushing them. And uh, sometimes that can rob you of accomplishment because you're sitting there with your arsenal as a tea. Uh, you know, making decent money, but not, not where you could retire or anything. A lot of people get comfortable, and that's not always a good place to be, Jimmy. No, especially not as a fighter, <laughs> particularly exactly. as a fighter. And and I think that's when you get fighters who, who you think, you know, they, they go on and they're obviously talented fighters and they win world titles. And then you think, oh, they're going to push on here now. And you can generally see they get to different levels as they're going through, British and Commonwealth and yeah. European and stuff. And then, they sort of find a level and then they take that step up again. They sort of go up to an, a higher level. And then a lot of the time, they'll win a world title and you'll think, oh, they're going to step up now and, and you know, they'll, they'll really move on through the gears. And, and they sort of go backwards. And generally, that's the difference. You know, you look at someone like Dullahoya or Mayweather, yeah. they've had so much success, yet they've consistently go through um, the r- r- rigmarole of conditioning and, and the, the tough that's because they're made to fight it's, it's, mm. it's a genetic thing it's an inbuilt thing whereas fighters who, who become world champions they're obviously made of a certain stuff what not 99.9% of human beings are but they're not even made of the stuff what you talk about those elite level consistently doing it weight after weight and striving to be better every every fight they go in it's, it's, um, it's, it's a different level you know I don't want to Name names, but there's, there's fighters out there who you know could be a Mayweather or yeah. or a Pacquiao or people like that, but they're not because they haven't got that last little bit. It's it's like a a genetic thing where it, it, it's an obsession with them. It, it, mm-hmm. It's not like it's an effort for them. They just they just do it. There's no questions about it. Look, I'm not Floyd Mayweather's biggest fan. I think anyone who follows yes, me on social media mean. will know that. Not because of the fighter he is, because he was a phenomenal fighter. Of um, because of a human being he is, and 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 that's not me 
saying that and knowing because I don't. It's the way he portrays himself on social media. Yes. I think it's irresponsible and disrespectful to a lot of people, but I don't really want to go into that. But can you cannot fault his work work ethic and his skill set. He was an unbelievably dedicated and phenomenal fighter, without a question. So, you know, just in case anyone thinks that I just don't like him for the sake yeah. of not liking him, I respect him so much of the... the skill set and the uh, dedication he put into the sport it's just the other stuff that I don't like of course and I think uh, for evaluation you know uh, I'm probably going to butcher this quote but uh, I remember Bruce Lee saying something like uh, a man who uh, has to flash his, his possessions must be internally unhappy because if that's the only thing yeah. an animal object that you are bonding with that will never love you back yeah. uh, it really is no, extremely shallow but you see it's open there Timmy it's really really interesting because this is a common thread amongst athletes in all sports that dominate and it's often overlooked you know I remember talking to United coaches about Ronaldo <clears throat> and his absolute obsession with being the best yeah. and so yeah. it's not just you know it's strange it's strange you've mentioned this because I've literally had a conversation today in a memorabilia shop where they're picking uh -huh. some stuff up for the to auction some stuff off yeah. about the Ronaldo Messi debate mm -hmm. and about the reason the only reason Ronaldo was anywhere near what Messi is is because of his dedication that's right. weird you know uh, and, and, and it's funny because uh, you see this McGregor saying I'm not massive fan of Connor a, a bit like Floyd and I like the fighter but the person you know have my own opinion on but when you look yeah. at exceptional athletes Kobe Bryant Floyd Mayweather yeah. uh, you know Ronaldo these people have an obsession with being the best and they constantly hit they constantly grind on their craft every single day and that, and they're doing that when the cameras aren't on you know when you see the you know the the the, the, the build up the fights and HBO or whatever and you see um, the documentaries that choose a Floyd eating burgers or choose a Floyd out of three and more but that, that's that's all kidology Never. you know Floyd Mayweather is one of the hardest working fighters you will ever hear and that yeah. what Adrian Broner found out when he wanted to be Floyd you know there's a whole set yeah. of Floyd that uh, you've got to do and, and dedicating yourself and focusing and disciplining yourself is very very hard to do especially for a young man with money where there's ladies around and there's all sorts of temptations around it takes enormous discipline which is why there's so few of these fighters um, and you know Ronaldo said I'm 15% talent in 85% hard work you know and and, yeah. and uh, uh, hard work always beats talent, so there's no question, Timmy. You're absolutely right. Um, it's a mindset. Um, yeah. But when we talk about we talk about this lockdown, right, and we talk about the mental health impact and um, <clears throat> on people. A lot of people are struggling because they can't get out, they can't get exercise. Uh, I was mentioning this to you before we we, we hit record. But Enzo McAnally uploaded a lot of videos, short, uh, maybe a minute. Yeah. I just use you some training techniques for people. Um, a lot of people want to learn how to box but they're too embarrassed to ask especially if they're middle-aged or whatever and you're like i wouldn't mind knowing a few things but i'm too embarrassed to even ask anyone who do i ask yeah so social media is a great tool for people like yourself who are boxing trainers even if you just upload a minute of it and say look do this tuck your elbows in shoot job job hit the crack you know just uploading wee techniques for people at home who are watching this is so important certainly i've taken a lot from it uh have you learned during this lockdown timmy that there's other ways you can contribute to the public outside of your, your outside of uh, obviously training fighters. Um, 
I, I mean, I have seen the videos, what people have been doing about um, the stuff, te teaching people the basics, and I think it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, the stuff I've, what I'd say I'd learn um, from this lockdown is probably not boxing related, mm -hmm. but, you know, for instance, the stuff what we've been doing with the work with the charity stuff with yes, Magic Star, brilliant. you know, so the ex to the extent of uh, how much people, everyday life people where I live in, in the area I live, mm. you ju just would never have imagined the the levels of poverty that yeah. is, um, mm -hmm. where you would think, you know, norm, normal estates around here, where, and you think everyone's okay, you know, yeah. all right, maybe yeah. both, both parents don't work, or, or maybe some of them, in some cases, none of them work, but they're on state benefits, and they're doing okay because they get looked after, um, and God, a lot of the time that's not the case to the, mm -hmm. to the extent yeah. that the kids the kids are going to school and basically the only time that they're in school is the time that they eat a proper meal I know. and it's like so it, it's been a real real big eye opener for me I never even understood how, how bad the problem was until what's the name of your charity Jimmy? It's a charity it's called Maverick Stars. Maverick and Stars. basically it, it it's a charity what was set up to help amateur boxing clubs. Um, you know, mm -hmm. because obviously amateur boxing clubs are a non profit organisation and but not you no, know, nevertheless a lot of them are running and on basically just running on the subs and paying the rent. So right. they're struggling with equipment and stuff like that. So this charity was set up to just to aid amateur boxing clubs in doing the brilliant job what they're doing for local communities especially in underprivileged areas yeah. and then um, and then only as a knock-on effect and understanding it was over Christmas period when uh, having conversations with the kids and they were sort of saying oh we don't like being out of school because we don't really eat properly That's incredible. so the, these conversations were coming out so she started doing food parcels for them then which as it's turned out has been like a dry run for this situation because amazing she understood that the, that the problem was like over Christmas and then this, this situation came up with the COVID and the time span was, was sort of unknown that they wasn't going to be going back into school so Charlotte who runs the charity was a bit distressed by it thinking God mm -hmm. these kids are panicking about being yeah. off school for two weeks imagine what it's going to be like for two or three months so she started doing food parcels and then we've all sort of been doing our bit to try and help I, I've been trying to raise funds and try to do little bits of cancer to finance it because uh, you know after five weeks or six weeks it had cost a 30 odd grand where's uh where's the website where you can donate mate so well there's a link on my um on my uh, twitter page if you go to to my twitter page it's pity the pin tweet is a donation page on our okay. um it's a just giving page set up so it's a uh, maverick stars is the charity and um, we're just basically just trying to feed these kids and their families where where needed, um, giving them food parcels every day. And you know we're seven weeks in now, and after like I say, after about four weeks, it, it costs thirty odd grand, so uh, it's not a cheap cheap. Well, thing. I, I'm gonna donate a hundred quid. So anyone else listening to this, please, if you can share something, uh, do it because you know these boxing clubs. Jimmy, you bring up an important point there because a lot of times boxing clubs are filled with kids. Uh, at the very lowest end of the, the spectrum when it comes to stable homes, when it comes to, you know, uh, poverty, when it comes to a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of fighters are carved out of this, as we as we know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because of the, the design. So let's, Go ahead, man. So let's, let, let, let's not beat around the bush as well. A lot, a lot of these families, the parents, to some extent, 
are, are the reason why these yes. kids are in the situation course, because man. you know they, they've got their own issues yep. they may be drug drug issues or mm-hmm. or you know they, they, they're too ill for work or they just refuse to go to work but that's this isn't the kids fault the kids absolutely not you know we we can't blame these poor kids mm-hmm. who were they were trying their best they go into the gym they try to do something with their life and at the end of the day they're hungry and and they're not hungry through their own fault it's the circumstances what they're in so um so i understand people a lot of people get a bit peeved with the situation but you know you're asking people to donate to pay for other people's kids but god it's not the kids faults the kids are in a horrible situation and i can't stand the thought of a, a kid sat there starving going hungry it just kills me it's totally unacceptable and in, in, in this planet today with such excess food there's no checked should be yeah. going hungry and honestly yeah. if you if you're a human being and you can spur the change and you talk yourself out of it because you feel that somebody's lacked the, the responsibility and, and delivered for these kids that really is yeah. the worst excuse i've ever heard because there'll be a time yeah. in your life for right or wrong you will need help and you will hope you're not yeah, judged. for whatever reason yeah yes of course at some point we all need a, we all need a lift yeah we all need an helping hand every now and again yeah, we're, 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 yeah. none of us are you know? perfect none of us are perfect we all make mistakes i've made plenty of them put myself in plenty of stupid situations from making either selfies or uneducated decisions i never meant it to turn out like that's an unintended consequence but it happens and look i've got four kids yeah just a couple yeah. of twists and turns I me mean, i could be in the same situation so um, Do you know, Phil? I've I've made plenty, plenty of mistakes over in my life. If anyone who's read my book will know that um, I've made plenty of mistakes. But I've got to be honest. I think, uh, although in in a way, I regret doing what I did because it's obviously made people unhappy or, or affected people's lives in some way. But that's why I'm constantly trying to do nice things or the right thing by mm-hmm. people because sure I've learned from those mistakes and then. I'm trying to put into practice and, and sort of right them wrongs in, in one sense. But I think to myself, if, if maybe I, if, if I hurt one person for one of my actions in the past, but now I've, I've then gone and helped a hundred people or, or maybe a thousand people, then even though it's not right that you hurt one person, but it sort of goes a long way to making sure that you've, you've, you've tried your best to put it right. Well, look, mate, the, when I met you for the first time, you had no idea who I was. I could have been some clinger on, I could have been some male model. Oh, I could pass for that. Um, yeah. But in all seriousness, I met you and, um, you know, obviously I'm aware of who you are and all that there. I remember getting in the car afterwards and ringing the wife and just saying, Got to meet you me for the first time, and I, I I could have repeated every word you said to me for the next week, week and a half, because we talked about this earlier, the impact of your words, uh, and I struggle with mental health, I've struggled with addiction throughout my life, uh, and so that it, it, these influences uh, that help me get through another day without doing something stupid, you know, these things yeah, are yeah, so important, yeah. and you are a consummate gentleman to me, such a kind man, and uh, just and I noticed you were like that with everybody. There's some people have a disposition yeah. toward the negative towards other people, maybe it's arrogance, I don't know, but uh, the humility with which you conduct yourself, mate, I'm so grateful to because uh, yeah, it, it certainly had a very positive. My pleasure, mate. <clears throat> Joe, my, 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 a lot of it's down to parenting. I'm telling yes, you, we, we did not have a pot to piss in yes, growing mate, up. Absolutely, not, you know, but it, it did. It went no way yeah. towards anything compared to, you know, the impact my mum and dad have had on me coming. You know, for instance, and 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 I, you know, you know what? We're all we're all probably the same in, in 
a lot of senses where we mimic our parents' behaviour yes. or people <laughs> who influenced us growing yeah. up. So and I, and I'd, be, I'd remind myself a lot of my mum. And so, like, if, if, if anybody says something to my kids, and they don't get a proper response, or, mm-hmm. or exactly. you know, they don't they don't yep. say please or thank you. Yep. I'm the first person down. I go, whoa, whoa, what yep. do you say? Oh, oh, I hope you said thank you. Yes, you know, and and I don't think there's enough of that. I don't think there's parents' responsibility to educate the kids and teach them manners and how to be brought up is is is, is sort of waning away and going. Oh, and you know, it's a it's a lost art, and it shouldn't be. You know, I, I I'm not hung up on these all these new age people who go, or, or these particularly these um, women who go, don't hold the door open for me yeah. because I can hold it open myself. Yeah. Well, it's just it's common courtesy as yeah, far as I'm concerned. Chivalry is dying, but I'm trying my best. I'm, I'm giving it CPR and I'm trying to keep it alive you know what I mean and well look, uh, the way I see it is if my manners offend you you're the you know it says everything about you and not about me you know because yeah, I'm only yeah, responsible exactly. for what I do and if yeah, I'm I'm yeah. going to hold the door open for you not because you're a woman but because you're a if human you're being exactly so and, it, and if a woman held the door open for me I'd, I'd just quite happily say oh thank you very much yes. you know and that's the thing it's just manners manners cost nothing well yeah if you're going to weaponize everything mate then I, I just think that's another it's a personality trait and I think it's a form of mental illness to be honest but uh, yeah, I want to yeah. ask you about your career mate I don't want to keep it too long but there's some things I want to I want to get into because first of all your book Mer- Mersey Fetters Autobiography very very few boxers read a born autobiography right Get this book because uh, there's something in it for everybody. And as Jimmy, just like Nada, just like Carla, honest as the days long, right? And there's like every fighter, there's there's humour, there's tragedy, there's everything in there, and it's a metaphor for life. I often say there's there, there, there's some boxing metaphors that translate to, to, to transcend the sport. Gary Ward yeah. right now transcends the sport, right? Your fight with Matthew Macklin transcends the sport uh corrales castillo transcends the sport because it's a metaphor for life do not give up no matter how hard it gets no matter how and there's something and i think this is the core appeal to a lot of people about fighters or boxing in general when you look at a man and first of all i'm watching a man and a woman to be fair doing something i know i can't do right so appreciation number one uh but also when you look at a fight in many ways it, it it's a metaphor for your own life because in the boxing yeah. ring, every doubt that you ever have about yourself will surface. Every corner you cut yeah. will surface. Every question you've ever asked yourself will surface. Yeah. And so there's no hiding place. It's not like a football match you can play badly and the other 10 players carry you. It's you yeah, alone yeah. with yourself. And everything that you are as a human being will come out in that ring. And I, and I, yeah. and I think that when you see fighters coming back from positions where they should have lost... And they climb off the deck. Like Mate, it was Fury's fight, first fight. Well, it was both of them, but the first fight with Wilder. When he got up off the ground, I'll be honest, you mean, I, I was in tears because yeah, they yeah. personified my own struggle, you know? And I, course, I just think course. that's something unique about fighters. Exactly. And, you know, so when, when as a fighter, so this is all, and I can only speak from my own experiences, but. As you come through the amateur ranks and as you progress and you get older and you come across these bigger hurdles and obstacles and fights get tougher, mm-hmm. you know, 
people, the, the fighters get better, they get bigger. And, you know, each time you have your setbacks as an amateur particular, and, and, and you're obviously just learning the, the, the sport at that stage. But then, my experience when I turned pro, it was it was it was like a, a drop down three leagues because well, you turn yeah because you, you you go from boxing at an amateur level at a very high level mm. um, you know boxing against some of the best you know my last three fights was like against an ABA champion then against a three time ABA champion mm. and then the last fight was against the Spanish number one um, and and then all of a sudden I've turned pro and I've had twelve fights against journeymen. <laughs> So it was like a big drop down. Yeah. So you know those experiences I'm trying to take into as a trainer, and I'm having conversations with managers and stuff, mm-hmm. saying, "Listen, we can't keep this guy at the lower level. He don't need that education process. He just needs to get the you know different styles and bring them along in the right sort of way." Don't I don't like giving someone 15 journeyman because I don't think he's he's detrimental to him. I think it has the opposite effect, um, and that's why I found against when I lost it against Scott Dixon. Mm-hmm. Now, what I found was, it was more of a mental thing. Yeah. So when I watched that fight back, I, was I tired? Yeah. Did I struggle at the weight? Yeah. But I sort of spat my dummy out and, and I felt Did sorry you? for myself. It was a mental thing because I'd beat him up, I'd had him on the floor, I'd battered him and all of a sudden, because this is a competitive fight and it's not a journeyman, the referee's not jumped in. He's not. He's not jumped on the floor mm. or, or took a knee. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm in a proper fight for the first time in two and a half years. And That's fascinating. That's interesting. What, what, once he dug his heels in and started fighting back, he was a good fighter. He was an ex Commonwealth mm. champion, and I was exhausted. And <sighs> it was, it, there was a load of different aspects in it. But basically, for six months after that fight, I. I, I was tormented mentally because mm. I kept thinking to myself, "You could have carried on then." Mm-hmm. I got up, I got up at nine and a half, and the ref probably maybe could have let me go, but but he he, he, he made the right call because I reckon mm. I'd, got, I'd have got stopped anyway. Yeah. But I tormented myself. I thought you could have done better. You could have dug deeper, and I remember thinking to myself. You're never going to lose a fight again unless you get carried out on a stretcher. Now, I don't, I don't blame other fighters for taking a knee. I, I don't judge him at all because if you've had enough and that's your maximum to where you can go to, and you get home to your family safe and well, then that's the right call. It is one hundred percent the right call. I don't judge anybody for that, but me personally. From that point on, because I knew and I felt like I could have done more, yeah. I did. And yeah, every single fight I had from that point then. So those lessons, what I learned from Scott Dixon, the next time I had to put him into practice was against a guy called Delroy Mellis, three mm-hmm. fights later. He hurt me, he had me out on my feet. And I remember thinking during the fifth round, this is that moment now. You've got to dig mm-hmm. in and show exactly. you've got a bit of metal. And I did. And then two years later, Michael Jones has me down twice on the floor. Yeah, Sky I've actually man. put that video on the on, on Twitter today. Yeah. And after the second knockdown, I remember standing up and looking across the ring at him and thinking, There's no fucking way you're beating me today. <laughs> now 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 I can't say 
that I would have ever thought that if I'd have not experienced losing to Scott Dixon. See, this is where, as a boxing fan, um, there's been a, 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 an evolution in the sport uh, that boxers protect their own too much. Um, to me, it's not career-defining if you lose a fight because you just learned the lesson. You're supposed to lose to learn, right? And so yeah, there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. You know, how relevant this Canelo Alvarez is lost to Floyd Mayweather, and I'm not relevant, right? Yeah. It's not relevant yeah, yeah. on a single ticket sale. And so you just talked about something you learned in a fight that you were able to carry on. You know, look at Hagler. Look at how many great fighters. Pacquiao, Pacquiao, yeah, he lost course, the second pro fight. You know, they, they, yeah. oh, but this is accepted in other sports that you have to lose to learn. But one of the things that really intrigues me, Timmy, um, about fighters. So this is st- if you look at human nature, human nature, when, uh, when you get hurt or in danger, it's to flight. But what is it that puts a guy through the ropes? I'm not talking about the fame. I'm not talking about the money. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about as a five or six year old. Instead of going yeah. and playing football or tennis or cricket or anything else that's a lot less dangerous, what is it that puts a kid through the ropes that says, you know what, see when I get hurt, it's going to make yeah. me angry and I'm going to hit you back. Because to me, whatever that is, that's what puts a fighter through the ropes at 40 when he still thinks he can fight. Because that yeah, feeling yeah. never dies. Your body ages, but yeah. what makes a fighter fight never dies. Do you, do, do, do you agree with me? Well, yeah, of course, and, and, and I agree with you. And I think, so So you're right, I think that's the reason why fighters go on for too long, because they always, they want to relive, or they want to rekindle that light, sure. what, that fire inside and what they wanted. But I think that's because a lot of fighters will never be happy. So, mm. you know, we keep talking about Floyd Mayweather, but he, he'll never be happy because he always, he'll always want that adulation. Yeah. He'll always want people to talk about him. He'll always want that pat on the back. He'll always want more money, no matter how much money he's got, because he's always wanting that next thing. He's never content. If mm-hmm. he find, you know, if, if he... I, I've known my wife since I was 10 years old, and it sounds dead corner, but... I sort of knew from about 40 and I kept thinking all the time, I'll marry you one day. And there was, there was no sort of um, attraction or involvement really with, between us then, but I just had it. It was just sort mm-hmm. of in the stars. So that that happiness and contentment I have, I can sit on the couch with my wife and watch TV and not have a conversation and have the best yep, night ever. I know exactly what I mean, I'm happy and... Mm-hmm. and, and so, so in a way, I feel sorry for people who, who don't have that yes. because you talk about that happiness without money. It doesn't have to. You don't have to have money. But you know, fighters they they, they, they crave that win or they crave that getting to the top of the mountain. I never had any expectations when I turned professional. No, nobody expected me to do anything, and all my only. Um, wish was that all the fans who'd worked nine to five or worked in warehouses mm. and they paid 20 quid for the ticket walked away going fucking hell what a night yes. that was yep because they worked hard to pay for the ticket to come and watch yep. me fight that was my only wish yep so the the, the least i could do was try me fucking best mm-hmm. while they was all watching me and I, I, I've ended up achieving more and getting getting more respect from boxing than 
times a million than I could have ever imagined. So when I retired at 30 years old, sensibly knowing that there was a lot of miles on the clock yeah. and knowing that if I carried on the way I thought, then potentially I could do myself damage. Yes, course, and I yeah. would never jeopardise that, not just for my sake, but for my family's sake. Then I'm happy and I can walk away content and sleep at night. But 99% of fighters can't do that. And well, I don't know why. Mate, here's the thing, right? Uh, as a as a boxing fan, I don't care whether you're a journeyman, whether you're a Robin Reed, or whether you're the best fighter in the sport. Yeah. For the first thing I want to do is give you respect for having the balls, the lace up, a pair of gloves, and get in there and fight a human being, right? Because yeah. very few people possess that, right? And I custom added does a brilliant description of this about fear, uh, and how you control fear, and how the card and the hero has the same feeling. Uh, it's yeah, really, really yeah. revealing, but. So you get the respect right away, and then when wh whatever happens in the ring, if you give a hundred percent and you try your best, people respect that. Whether it's in boxing, whether it's in any any occupation, because yeah. there's respect for honesty. There's respect for do you know what that fellow went in there and give everything he had. He didn't come here to cheat yeah. anyone. He didn't come here. And by the way, I think fighters earn every single penny. Right, because every single yeah. time they get in the ring, they're risking coming out less with a man than what they went in. And they have families, and most yeah. fighters are not rich. Most fighters are, yeah. are, are not making massive amounts of money. Same with the trainers, same yeah. with everybody else. It's an honest working, it's an honest day's living. So um, I have massive respect as to most people for fighters. And that's one of the reasons why I really very rarely will criticize a fighter on, on social media or anything, because these people have balls that I wish I had. You know what I mean? Yeah. In many ways, yeah. many ways, the worst fighters deserve because they're getting their bollocks knocked in fucking constantly yeah. still they go back you know what I mean yeah. but uh, of course, of course. one of the things Jimmy I want to ask you uh, because uh, fighters you know often come from trouble backgrounds we sort of covered it there a wee bit uh, were drugs ever an issue for you? Which was, which was, were, did, were drugs mental health ever an issue for you throughout your career? No do you know I, I've been so fortunate in that sense um, I, I've always been a glass half full always been like that just by nature so so i'm real fortunate that the, the only sort of struggles i've ever had mentally is, has been because of setbacks with boxing and stuff mm -hmm. and i've had to find my own path and on my own way to to get back from that but in in terms of just general health and well-being i've been so fortunate that um I, i've been lucky enough to be the sort of person who people would always come to yeah and you, they sort of, I've always had that thing where people gravitate to me and always come and ask my advice or what would you do in this situation. So, God, I feel absolutely blessed to, to, to you know, never never have I ever had someone come to my house or ring my phone and ask me a question or think it and feel like it's a burden because I feel so lucky to not have them problems myself. So, and if, and if they feel like I've got the answer or in some way to that, then fucking what a blessing that is for me. Well, it's just a level of trust. Oh, but it wasn't for you, man, but you're working on a sport. Do you see an issue in boxing gyms with fighters with both recreational and performance plans and drugs? Um, I've, I, recently, recreational drugs. Yeah. I've not... So I, I, I hear a lot of stories about America and you know performance enhancing drugs mm -hmm. um, apparently he's, you know he's, he's, there's a lot of it going on but I've, made, I've never witnessed it mm -hmm. um, certainly 
I've not know, not known anybody in this country to be taking it except for the people who've been caught. Um, <laughs> but you know, I've never I've never known somebody um, personally to to have taken performance-enhancing drugs. But recreational drugs, yeah, I think that's a an issue. And and I think just in society in general, uh, recreational drugs are a massive issue because you know as much as people have mental health issues, this this is getting mixed up and masked with people creating their own mental health issues which are caused by a knock-on effect of uh, recreational drug, drug, drug abuse and um, you know I, I don't think you should tar the same people with the same brush because it's not fair because mm. people who have mental health issues it, it is a is a difficult situation to deal with um, and mm. you can't put people in the same bracket as people who are going out there putting substances into their own body and then, you know, saying that they suffer from the same illness. It's not the same thing well, in my book. I, just to, to cover that quickly, uh, how my addiction happened uh, was a, basically was triggered from a traumatic event when I came home and found my wife dead. Uh, it absolutely destroyed me. Sorry. You know, I was, yeah, it was, it was I came home from work one day and... Uh, She's 30 years of age, it was three weeks before Christmas, and uh, we had my wee boy, he was 10 months, and uh, he came in, yeah. opened the front door, and she's still sitting on a seat with her arms stretched out, where she'd been holding my child, and she dropped him, um, I don't know if he met him, he was out uh, in Vegas at one point, what car was there, and um, she, the dog had somehow knew that she was dead, and the dog, the dog lay across her feet and l boxed my wee boy in against the settee because it was December, the gas electric fire was lit, there was no fire guard, and I was in an upstairs condo, so the front door was open, so we could have went down the stairs. And he sat there yeah. for three and a half hours, like that, and I never know how, because he was 10 months old and he was crawling. But what it did Jeez. do, mate, is uh, it triggered me badly, right? And I'm still, yeah, like, yeah. For, for example, I've covered it on my podcast before, but... I can't wake my kids without pulling sleeves down over my hands in case they're cold, right? Because just from yeah. touching, uh, and obviously yeah, yeah. growing up in Belfast didn't help either. But um, then, you know, just other little things that you don't, it, it trigger really, really bad anxiety. Like, for example, I was at a funeral a couple of years ago and I had an open casket. And as soon as I saw the color of the face, the color of death, triggers badly. Yeah. But, but what happened yeah, yeah. was uh, I needed a bunch of operations because of uh, playing football. I needed knee yeah. operations and all that there. And then, so I'm in, you're in depression, you're grieving badly, and then you get prescribed yeah. these painkillers. And for the first time, I wasn't suicidal when I popped to them. I felt, fucking hell, this is great. You know, I feel amazing. Yeah, you know? yeah. And that's where addiction happens. That's called self-medicating. Yeah. And that's where they do sometimes juxtapose. But I agree in that addiction, depression, whilst correlate, they're not the same thing. Re and, and, yeah. and Recreational drugs yes. is different. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And, 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 that, and that was your way of coping with the yes, situation. Yes, it was, mate. Absolutely. And, and, it, and it had to be done. And then obviously it went down a different path. But, but the, uh, even that, that is a different bracket in my, in my book to, to somebody going to the pub every weekend yes of course and and, and, and you know actively doing it yourself to, to, for enjoyment purposes mm -hmm. and there's a, there's, a, there's a big difference oh absolutely mate there's no question and, uh, I didn't have the education really uh, to deal with that cope with that and uh, I was told basically in the first week that if I tell a shrink what I'm experiencing 
because I'll, I'll be honest, man, I mean, I have serious mental health, this stuff was going on, I was experiencing what people would call paranormal activity, I suppose I am probably deluding myself, but there was definitely some things happening, like three o'clock in the morning or middle of the night, bang, all the TVs would come on, right, and uh, yeah. I have a picture, assuming it, I have a first time with my current wife, right, the very first time I was intimate with her, uh, I went to lift my a key ring off a table that my previous wife had bought me and it was all smashed in pieces right now we had been in a hotel so no one else had had access and then i lifted my phone and there was a picture taken of us in bed in the middle of the night from the very top of the ceiling <laughs> no idea wow. I, I still have the picture right and so um and uh, well, uh, uh, this is a swear over my children's lives, right? And I turned around to what is now my current wife, Nikki, and I said, "There, same very science, right? I'm, uh, I'm not, I'm not a man. I wasn't a man of God or anything." But I said to her, "Do you believe in this stuff?" I'm, give me one bit of tell you, what I before I can answer. <laughs> my wee boy's teddy bear, which is one of them where you want to squeeze the hands and it speaks, <laughs> and it says, uh, yeah. "Well, I was coincidence, and that goes." Peekaboo, I see you. Right? And <laughs> it fucking, it fucking creeped the shit out of me. Right? I mean, man, I could go on and on and on about the things that were happening, right? This this was happening consistently and uh, until I moved out of there, right? And uh, yeah. I told my doctor this, and my doctor says, listen, you go tell that they shrink, they're going to think they're going crazy and you could lose your child. So I was denied important mental health treatment at a time when I needed it, and I started taking drugs, but, but, but it absolutely fucking decimated my physical health, right? Yeah, because yeah. You, you just can't do that to yourself in a prolonged period of time and expect to, to get out of that. Uh, and so uh, anyone's mm. listening to this is experiencing any type of mental difficulty. There's no such thing as a weakness by asking for help oh, and I confect with the opposite. Of course, and I think that's really important what you're saying there is... It's, it's so important for people to tell them stories and speak about it because the majority of people who go through those experiences think that, think they're the yes, only ones who are exactly. going through it. Oh, I don't want to I don't want to mention it to such a body because they'll think I'm weird. And that's the, the big stigma around it is. Look, you know, so I, I just told you a story, and now this isn't about mental health, but this mm -hmm. is just about the psychology of human beings. I just told you a story about me, basically. And, and and really, in a way, I can afford to tell it you because mm -hmm. my reputation about being, you know, brave or, or sure. being involved in never quitting and stuff will always be there now because yeah. it's, 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 it's written in stone. But, and and I didn't quit, but I could have tried harder. Sure. I could have carried on. Mm -hmm. So so basically, it's very similar to someone taking a knee. Now, mm -hmm. yeah. by me talking about stuff like that, will make people understand that I'm exactly the same as them. Because I'm sure a lot of people watch my fights back now, you know, oh, you're talking over 10 years, 15 years old, and they sort of go, Jesus, I wish I was made of what he's made of. Mm -hmm. Well, you probably are, but it's a psychological thing rather than a physical thing. And, you know, you've got to try and overcome these obstacles and you speaking out about these different problems is going to, somewhere along the line, someone's going to listen to this and relate to it and go, oh, Phil's been through that as well, so I'm not on my own. Do you know what I mean? And it's so, yeah, it's so important happened, that people go out and speak. Exactly. Look, um, it's not for me to tell 
but I've spoken to other individuals uh, who know you, uh, know Kyle, and there's an abundance of stories like mine where you and, and the team have reached out to people at their lowest ebb. Uh, I was talking to a guy in Belfast, Paul, uh, who told me... Yeah, positive man, man. Absolutely lovely fella. Total gentleman. But what he's been talking to me so about... That's it. I, I, I found a friendship yeah. with someone by reaching out and then not even realising what we were doing at the Class. time. And it's, it's evolved into a, into a friendship. Well, and mate, he, him and I um, you know, have a commonality in the sense that uh, once again, your team, the people, have, have reached out to someone like me and instead of re- walking up a ladder, you reach down and pull up. Right? And that means everything to yeah. me because now what that does for me is I make sure I pay that forward. And now I've got people that listen to my podcast where I've been open and honest about it because I don't want to project. Yeah. People think I live in LA and I'm living so amazing life. Look, I, like you tell me, I'm yeah. humble. Right? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I'm yeah. not living some fucking 90210 celebrity life. I'm just a normal person exactly. with troubles like you yeah. do, like everybody else does. And I'm plagued with, yeah. with these issues too. So please don't envy my life. And so I, yeah. I felt it was important to be honest. And uh, I, 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 what I've found uh, a couple of people that have now got their own podcast that are now doing their own thing and doing exceptionally well. And, and it just started with a conversation and you realize how powerful your words can be. Um, Jimmy, yeah. you, you've given me almost an army and I could take another three if you let me. But I'll, I've got a couple of questions that I can't let you go without, <laughs> without asking them. Uh, before, course, we, be, before we button up on a mental health thing, mate, have you got anything else you'd like to add to it? No, mate, no, nothing that we've already covered because it obviously is a really important thing. But I think that, um, like I say, anyone who, who who listens to this conversation should get a good idea and a few little tips if they're ever struggling. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things, mate, that um, <clears throat> you're acutely aware of, especially as a fighter, is your own mortality, right? And you yeah. realise that you're a, you're a, a father with children at any moment, thankfully, and in the ring anymore, th- things can happen, right? You had yeah. an incident in Marbella. I don't know if you want to talk about this or not, but you were shot twice. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine yeah. for one minute that that A, didn't change your life in terms of how you looked at it. Uh, yeah. I, 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 B, uh, I suppose, in many ways, uh, may have changed your mental trajectory from uh, to, to being, like, hey, this can be over any minute. Uh, Hi, is that affected you spiritually in any way? Is that affected you in um, any way? So, uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely affected me. Um, and I've got to be brutally honest here. I, I, the, the mental toughness what boxing has given me over the years, I feel has helped me. I'm better equipped to deal with the situation what I went through. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, psychologically, I feel that, if it wasn't for all the experiences and the lessons what I took from boxing over the years, i.e. being able to sort of throw negative thoughts out of your mind. That's one of the main things what boxers are really good at is Mm -hmm. once you start having a negative thought about a fight or or an opponent or a situation, you're really good at sort of recognising it and, and blanking it out and sort of throwing it to the back of your mind. The, the memory of what happened to me that night in Marbella is, is sort of buried away deep in the back of my mind mm-hmm. and I very, very rarely allow myself to think about it because it's too fucking scary. Uh, but I've, I've dealt with it in a way that I would deal with a, a scenario from a boxing point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, now, 
like everything else, what we spoke about in terms of the losses and the lessons, what you learn along the way, you know, it makes you a better fighter and a better person. I can't, I can't say anything else negative about that situation for Marbella, other mm. than my legs a bit fucked from it. <laughs> <laughs> because, because my leg doesn't work great now because I've got a bit of nerve damage in my left leg. Yeah. But, every other aspect of my life in terms of the recognition of little things and, and the appreciation of little things and enjoying my life mm -hmm. has sort of been magnified times 10 because of the realization that I might not have been here again. And mm -hmm. I can't, I can't, I can't say that's a negative. Obviously, you know, people, people always ask me the question, do you wish you'd have fought for a world title? And of course I do. Yes. But if someone then said to me, well, I tell you what, then you can go back 10 years and you can fight for the world title then, I go, not a fucking chance. Yeah. Because it might change the trajectory of which my life goes mm -hmm. and I don't want that because I'm really content and happy with where I am at the moment. Well, you have the public so respect this, anyway. You know, you, there's nothing you yeah, can... Yeah. I mean, uh, maybe prove a point to yourself it doesn't, because it's not a point that needs to be proved to anybody else, you mean? You know, no, um, no. But, but, but but by the same but by the same rule, if somebody says to me, "Do you wish that that incident didn't happen in Marbella?" I would say, "Fucking course I do." Yeah. Of course, yeah. And, they, and then they, and then if they then said, "Okay, then, well, let's go back five years," and it doesn't happen, I'd go, "Now, nah, you know what? I'll keep it because yes. it's made me a better person." It's made me appreciate spending mm. little moments with my family and my kids and my wife. So why would I change that? I appreciate my life so much more now and it's made me a better person. So no, I'm not going to, I wouldn't go back. Well, it's interesting you say, yeah, because um, I remember when I was at my lowest ebb and I was really, really contemplating suicide. <clears throat> and uh, I had done quite a bit of research into it about, you know, would my life insurance still be paid and all that stuff, right? And um, I had a dream that night swore with the Holy Bible <clears throat> and I was at a party and there was a big party going on around me and I was sitting on the city just a miserable bastard and uh, I don't know who it was it was just an ineffable voice that said this party is your life and this is the only party you'll ever be at so you can sit here on the couch and let it pass you by but when the party's over the party's over right you will never yeah. walk this earth again as you. You will never walk this earth again as your children's father. And so you can decide to spend what time you have left telling yourself a story that life is interminable, it's suffering, it's it's bullshit, or you can join a party, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I'm not perfect, you me, But whenever I have my lowest moments, or I think about uh, this metaphor and I think about, you know what, I, I can't, I, I, there's nothing for me to begin by uh, being miserable and going down a dark hole. And yeah. So I work yeah. really, really hard about refocusing those positive thoughts. Uh, Jimmy, let me ask you about your boxing career really quick. Um, what's the best untold story of your boxing career? The best untold story? Yeah. Just give me something that nobody knows about that there's a cracking story to tell. Oh, that's a great question. Or um, maybe one you've told that I just haven't heard. 
give me some of those. You can't go through a boxing career without having some good stories, mate. I, I, I interviewed George Foreman. He's telling me some mate, of the things yeah, that's happened. I've got, lo- I've, I've got loads of good boxing stories about people won't know about, but <laughs> I don't think I've told them without putting them in the book. Um, I've got plenty of stories what maybe I can't tell you. <laughs> go ahead, bang, bang, bang one out. Well, if you, if you feel comfortable yeah. with, even if it's an excerpt from your book, something that uh, would cause people to go out and buy it. Oh, mate, I, uh, you, you put me on the spot now. Off the top of my head, I can't think, but do you know what, Phil? We could sit here all day and we've not even spoke about my career or even United. I know. Yet. Why, don't we do a sec- why don't we do a second edition? You do a second one with me? Revisit and we'll, we'll have another hour, uh, maybe next week. You do a second one with me? Part two next week? Oh, mate, listen, let's let's do the same time next week you and we'll, we'll do another edition, eh? You're a fucking legend. We'll break it up into two excerpts, folks, because... Uh, I am so selfish with, with, with Jamie's time and as a fighter, uh, I completely stand fighters. I admire them, I love them. And uh, this guy, <laughs> just like Carl, uh, honestly, if neither of the two of you fought, uh, it wouldn't make a blame but a difference in how you are and how my relationship is and how I think of you because you're yeah. people that handle yourself with such dignity and class outside the ring that if I was ever famous, yeah. I could hope I'd handle it like that. Oh, with that no, thank uh, you, mate. Appreciate that. It's lovely. Yes, man. No, no, no. You're icons, your community. You never forget where you came from. And, uh, you know, you, you just to quickly button this up, you're talking about uh, other fighters, uh, Floyd Mayweather and stuff. That's one thing Americans don't do the way that British fighters, Irish fighters do. They still remain rooted in their community that they were born into yeah. and they continue to yeah. serve. Um, some do, but, but, but many don't. Jamie. Absolute. Uh, I swear to God, man, I'm not joking. I've got about 25 questions almost. I didn't even get the mansion. Train of the year, yeah. 2018. You're still there. You go. That's what I mean. We've got to do a second edition. Get We've you next week, it. man. Legend. Jimmy, <laughs> thank you so, so much. You're a gentleman. And uh, thank you, family, mate. for me. I appreciate it, mate. No problem at all. No Cheers, worries, pal. mate. Speak to you next week. Yeah? See you, mate. Bye.